Hello, and welcome back to They Made Another One, where each week we study an often forgotten installment in a franchise and see how it holds up all on its own. I'm one of your hosts, Corey. And I'm your other host, Liam. And back for precisely his fourth rodeo, we have our dear friend and resident John Frankenheimer correspondent, Mitch. Hello, Mitch. How you doing, buddy? Hi, fellas. Thanks for having me on. I'm doing very well. And uh, so this was kind of an impromptu... uh, we didn't know we were going to have you on for this one. It was sort of a last minute thing. Was it weird being like tagged in? You're like, oh, what have I been dragged into? I mean, it wasn't really weird. Like you just sent me a message and I was like, Dr. Moreau, I'm coming in. I'm here. Um, but I- knowing that we have said, I think, on this show that next time we're going to get you in was going to be for some real trash. Did you have any major concerns? Well, I mean, yeah, but I mean, like there's, <laughs> there's trash and then there's like Dr. Moreau trash. Like, right. There's, there's like historically significant trash yeah like there's like this this is like a towering trash so i'm i'm very i'm very <laughs> happy to be here but it's uh, I, won't, I won't tell you too much about what i think of it but it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah i think our worst moments and liam can probably attest to this are when we end up getting trash that does not have a reputation <laughs> yeah then we're just sort of baffled <laughs> yeah and and then uh sometimes if it doesn't have a reputation we learned that it should it should be on the dr moreau tower but then sometimes it's trash and you realize no one talks about it because uh it's not trash worth talking about so this is this is this is a good gateway trash movie for mitch on the podcast as before this is- we really throw something at him I'm really grateful that you guys are throwing the poster child trash at me before you hit me with the real sack of bricks. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I, it's something that I think we learned early. Is you got to ease yourself into this line of work. It's not always noble, and sometimes it catches you quite off guard. So, you know, that's you got to give yourself a few freebies. I think this is one of those. It's like early on we did like Exorcist three and stuff. And it's like those are that's a movie that's known for being pretty good, mm-hmm. and we at least could like be ready for that. Yeah, I mean, the French Connection two wasn't wasn't really good but it, no i wouldn't say it's it was not trash. on the same level as like flintstones and viva rock vegas they're two very different ball games definitely and you've got to remember Corey, that now you and i are so well trained at this sequel trash stuff or talking about sequel gold stuff that now that we have the william castle film genero and films mm-hmm. are coming up just on a with a week advance notice now we're really saying okay Whenever anything comes up, we're going to be good to go. And that means that we're kind of bringing guests into that, too, because this just came up randomly, right? Uh, on our Genero, we had to do it. So that means yeah. that if, if we have any guests, they've got to do it, too. You know, we're going to end this episode with another Genero pick. And uh, any guest that, that hears <laughs> the pick and wants to come Man. on, they're welcome to it. But I know, do love the idea. I do love the idea of lining up people in advance and they're just subject to the results. It's like Russian roulette. Yeah, like the next time Mitch is on after this, if we really want to dig into the barrel here, like you have to agree to a timing and then we just figure out what it is later. Yeah. And then are you're we- just like, well, I guess I've signed myself up for this. Are we guests or are we cannon fodder? Like <laughs> you're, you become prisoners. It's like a saw trap. And the you know the the method to escape is just watching the film, yeah, yeah. and talking to us about it. Like I guess straws. <laughs> Mitch Mitch has to do a solo cast on Saw, the final chapter. Corey and I are going to take it off. <laughs> I'll be here. I'll be there. In the meantime, we've got you back for a. Uh, as I mentioned, a director we've already talked about, 
Um, as as is tradition, we we usually bring in Mitch as the guy who um classes up the joint. Is I believe the parlance I usually go with, and um, generally I think that's been true. Um, you know, Scorsese comes to mind. Even French Connection too. It's sort of on a bit of a different. It's it's looked at differently in like cinema history as like a reasonable thing. But here we've got a John Frankenheimer called in to pinch direct. Uh, because um, we've got The Island of Dr. Moreau, 1996, Marlon Brando, Val Kilmer, uh, David Thewlis, who does not really get the fanfare, but is really the protagonist, and um, a torrid production history, um, including Frankenheimer being brought in after like roughly a week, I think, or even just a couple of days um, from Richard Stanley's production, because it was just absolutely a train wreck, and we'll get into that shortly. Um, I'm actually going to go through like the cast and crew rundown now just to get it get us covered and then we can sort of get into uh the movie a bit more cuz as mentioned uh John Frankenheimer directed we know what we know him for you can also think of the Manchurian Candidate Grand Prix stuff like that Richard Stanley directed for about 3 days um and he wrote the movie it went through rewrites from a lot of different people it seems uh the credited other writer is Ron Hutchinson uh, Richard Stanley being known for stuff like recently color out of space. Um, the editor has the editors have some fun credits. Paul Rubel, who edited uh, Blade, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, Triple X, uh, Michael Mann's Miami Vice movie. <laughs> so, you know, real bangers in there. And um, Adam P. Scott also worked on Blade and uh, he also edited Monster House. If you guys remember that. Oh, which I love. I, I think we've talked House. about. Yeah. That needs a um, sequel. Yeah. The uh, cinematographer is William A. Fraker, who did uh, Exorcist 2, which is relevant for us, but also Bullet and War Games. Uh, the music is by Gary Chang, who did Under Siege. Makeup effects, as noted in the credits and worth mentioning here, are from Stan Winston, who did you know Terminator 1 and 2, Aliens, Predator, the Jurassic Park movies. You know He gets around. And obviously based on the H.G. Wells book of the same name. There's the important stuff out of the way on the crew side for the cast. Again, a lot of pretty recognizable names. Marlon Brando, Val Kilmer, David Thewlis make up our main sort of three. And then a Feruza Balk, which I'm probably not saying right. No, that's, um, that's, is, that sounded good. Man. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Thanks, Liam, for the vote of confidence. So it sounded right to me. Too. I watched some I watched some content. That's everybody else was saying it. <laughs> okay, perfect. I. There have been times where I've definitely whiffed, so it's good to know that I'm I'm in I'm on the right track here. Uh, Daniel Rigney, um, Tamura Morrison, Nelson De La Rosa, Peter Elliott, Mark DeCascos, which I didn't notice it was him uh, until reading the credits later, and that's pretty cool. Uh, I'm obligated to say he was in Mortal Kombat Legacy. It's a legal obligation of mine. Uh, Ron Perlman, Marco Hofschneider, Miguel Lopez, and William Hootkins round that out. And so uh, I guess what I'm curious about, and uh, let's start with Mitch and then do Liam. How much did you know about this adaptation of The Island of Dr. Moreau? And uh, Mitch, I know you were saying that you've also seen at least part of the other ones. So like, what what was your awareness level like? Well, I mean, so I've seen the other ones, but... I probably came across like this first title like a few years ago. I, I think I'd watched somebody's like crappy YouTube video essay about it, <laughs> <laughs> but so I've, I've like heard about it 
Um, but it was, uh, it's, I, I liked the originals. And so like, I, I wanted to see it. And of course, like I've, I've, everybody's heard about like sort of Brando's sort of like onset extravagance. And I think his, his pictures from this movie is really iconic. So I kind of came, came across it, but a few, a few other ways, but yeah, this, this movie, um, I, I hadn't seen it, but like, I was, <laughs> I was blown away. Like, were you interested in seeing it before, you know, being called in to uh, do your do your duty on this podcast? Um, yeah, I had definitely had like an interest in seeing it. Like it wasn't something that was at like the top of the pile by any means. But uh, this was like a perfect excuse to see it. And I was like, ah, oh, what the hell? Like, <laughs> yeah, there are worse things to do with 90 minutes, probably. And I had been reading about Marlon Brando's career, too. So um, I, I came across it because it's sort of at the end of it and it's kind of a weird yeah ebert famously described it as probably his worst performance which is a (laughs) hilarious way to say that yeah and i mean you know who can say it's very brando yeah it's like if you cranked all of those knobs up to fucking 15 i actually rather liked his performance but (laughs) it was probably one of the better parts of the film but yeah Yeah. and uh so liam then what about you uh just in terms of like what you knew about this if you had seen it or the other ones that kind of thing i knew a good deal about this movie but it all revolved around production um i haven't Mm. seen any of the other versions i have not read the the hg wells book and so i had no idea what the premise of this movie actually was but it's a wikipedia page that i've probably read front to back um omitting the plot section i've probably read (laughs) it front to back two or three times um just throughout the years of scrolling through the internet it's a page that i wound up at again and again because uh richard stanley um the fact that he didn't direct anything else for what i guess it would be like 23 years until color of space happened so i definitely yeah. read it i definitely read the wikipedia page again when color out of space came out um and then years before that is probably when i first found it so i was really familiar with the poster that is on the wikipedia page <laughs> um And uh, that conjured up everything in my head as to what the movie is actually about. And so in my mind, it was uh, a science fiction mad scientist movie. But I did not know if Dr. Moreau was our protagonist, antagonist. No idea what the movie was about. But I had uh, I was familiar with the production, how um, how fraught it was. Uh, I'm a big fan of Marlon Brando stories. again, despite not actually being familiar with his movies, like I'm familiar with the production of his life, yeah. but I am He's not just kind familiar. of an iconic dude. <laughs> yeah. Like because I am, I am uh, so out of my element when it comes to movies like pre the eighties, I really haven't seen any of any of his stuff. Like I have not seen apocalypse now. I haven't seen a streetcar named desire. You got to see Apocalypse in fact, now, dude. For most of my life I thought the movie was called A Streetcar Named Desiree and it is not. Um, I knew a girl <laughs> named Desiree in my life, so. Um you got to watch on the waterfront. Yeah, I have not seen that, but I've I stumbled upon that in reading about Marlon Brando this weekend cuz I had to go down another rabbit hole. I love his feud with Paul Newman. Uh those are great stories. Anyway, um I I I was fascinated with watching this movie because of the production that I knew about. I also knew that there was a documentary that came out in 2014 all about the production and um, Richard Stanley's involvement. It's called Lost Soul. 
And uh, I, so I've had both of those on my watch list as a double feature for years and years, and I just never uh, went ahead with it. So when it came up on our film, Genero, I was very excited because I knew, okay, I'm finally going to be able to <laughs> flesh out my knowledge of this thing, see the movie, and then watch the documentary. I was planning the entire time whenever yeah. I would get to it to double feature it. So I did that. I watched that, okay. the movie, and then I watched the documentary about it, and it made for a great three hours yeah i bet and i uh i didn't know like i'm kind of in the same boat as liam less on the brando stuff but um i i didn't know what this movie was about or anything i i knew of it as like a like a historical curiosity like just a production that went famously sideways um but i didn't really know the specifics and uh i didn't know like what the actual story was of the film or anything or really uh, I kind of assumed I didn't know what its quality was, but I assumed based on its reputation that people just said it was bad. So in my head, it was just a thing that was like its production went sideways and nobody liked it. And I didn't really know anything else. Um, so I also read the Wikipedia page and I read like one or two other pieces on the production of that um, one that was kind of just like an interview with Richard Stanley, which was just super interesting. And I'd also like to plug the episode of uh visitations the elijah wood podcast uh where they go talk to richard stanley because it's really good yeah mick garris um he has a podcast called postmortem with mick garris and he also does an interview with richard stanley that's really great too yeah so if you're if you don't want to listen to us talk about it but you do want to talk to richard stanley there you go um but you should keep listening and so i i was yeah i was excited to just get to something that is like famously or maybe infamously weird and weird and maybe bad. Uh, but I didn't really go in with any sense of, uh, of expectations, but before we really get into that, Liam and, uh, Mitch, feel free to chime in here too. If you want to talk about like the other adaptations of it, but what did the documentary, how is the documentary enlightening into what that process was like? Cause it might be, that sounds a lot more interesting than me, like looking at my notes on the Wikipedia page and just like, you know, dictating it at everybody like i'm lecturing them <laughs> um well the documentary makes it clear that everyone involved with the movie uh didn't quite know what was going on and they did not have much faith in the project um you know richard stanley certainly had faith in it in the four years that he spent developing it before it went into production this was a passion project of his and he had a whole lot of concept art and uh he did the script he it was he had a really dark version of it ready to go where someone gets their dick eaten off by a creature and um <laughs> Uh, that's when you know shit is real <laughs> gnarly stuff and then uh, <laughs> because he got pulled so quickly from the production it was about three days or so and when he got pulled um, and even within those three days there were so much actor problems um, uh, particularly with Val Kilmer and Marlon Brando uh, um, and even prior to that I mean Bruce Willis was tied to this movie at one point and then he dropped out and James Woods was going to be in it. But then uh, Val Kilmer, um, when Val Kilmer came in, James Woods had to switch parts with. Yeah. Val it's, it's Music and then Rob, Rob, Rob Morrow was going to do the main one because Val Kilmer didn't want to do the main one. And then he had to leave. 
Ah, that's production right. Production had started. Yes. So then David Thewlis came in. Yes, I think they were the ones to switch parts. It's just fucking chaos. No, like <laughs> you can't. You almost can't keep track of it. It's like it's like trying to keep inventory with the game of musical chairs. Like it's it, yeah. It's so you were in there and now you're there and it's it's just it. It's just dizzying with the amount of, of things that these people had That's, to making this movie. Well, even like, because New Line Cinema 2, like, kept sort of like, the impression I get is that they couldn't, like, they couldn't just, like, get their hands off it. Like, they kept wanting to tweak, like, how it was going to work. And, like, you know, and then you end up sort of, you send $40 million and a bunch of people to, like, an island. And just assume yeah. it's going to go well. And like, even like, but if nobody has faith in anybody. All the circumstances, like the weather and all that. Like, I feel like it's a bit of an allegory of like <laughs> giving your stars an inch and they take a mile. Like, yeah, you, you just look at like just the extravagance and the personalities clashing, and it's like it makes perfect sense that it ended up the way that it did. Well, and it's so funny that like Brando was like Richard Stanley's like big ally in the whole thing and then like they immediately kick richard stanley out he's like well fuck this i don't care anymore you're not gonna get me i'm not gonna memorize my lines i'm not gonna leave my trailer i want to have a dolphin head i'm gonna paint myself entirely white he insisted on wearing um like that that big metal bucket around his head and they filled it with ice because like he was just like very overweight and it was a tropical climate and he was like oh like i'm sweating like they just <laughs> to fill that thing with ice like he insists on having that bit written <laughs> just because he was too hot and um Feruza bulk was a similar ally to richard stanley where when she heard he got the boot she was furious and um she uh was all ready to leave the production she was going to walk with him and she anticipated most of the cast and crew would walk with him to show the the loyalty and that then the studio would say you know okay uh well we got to keep richard here because this was a bad idea um um but her agent told her that if she walks um after being contracted to this multi-million dollar movie they'll that um hollywood will make it so that she's never able to get a job you know she'll be shit talked everywhere in the industry her whole career will be ruined and uh so she actually sort of felt i guess in a similar way to marlon brando but she's just in a different place where she can't afford to do the shit that yeah, marlon she doesn't brando have like doing. a reputation yeah, and so she just had to stick around and, and, and do her job as best she could. Those threats aren't like empty threats either, because I mean, just look at what happened to Richard Stanley's career. <laughs> like, right. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, dude got yeah. absolutely blackballed. Like, <laughs> and then the fact that he fucking the the fucking uh, the extras like snuck him back onto set in a stolen costume. <laughs> It's yeah. so funny. Yeah, he didn't technically stop working after just a week. Like he, <laughs> he's in the movie. Yeah. Oh <laughs> yes, yeah, dude, that is an incredible sequence. It comes late in the documentary, and that feels like it's like a in a narrative film where the third act is really picking up and shit's hitting the fan. They ho- <laughs> they hold that card throughout most of the movie, and then what happens is some. Uh, um, well, when when Richard Stanley gets kicked off the production, um, the studio has someone go to the airport to make sure that he gets on the plane to leave. And they're telling him, you'll get paid your full amount as if you directed the movie as long as you leave and stay X amount of 
uh, X amount of uh, kilometers from the island we're working on. And someone went to the airport to make sure he got on the plane and he didn't show up and no one knew where he was. And then um, uh, eventually um, I got the impression it was quite a ways into the shoot. um, Some crew members find Richard Stanley in the jungle. He's like camping? Yeah. Yeah. They find him and, and then they say uh you know you should come back and check some stuff out and and richard stanley knows that if he gets found uh he's he's kind of pooched but he does it anyway and uh the did you say pooch because they put him in a dog costume you know it dude <laughs> I'm, I'm like with a campfire not too far away from the set with a full beard just like uh, <laughs> like it's my movie <laughs> In, like, full shaman mode. Oh, just, dude, like, there needs to be a disaster artist movie made about this one. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so he, he he puts on the this, like, torn apart dog, uh, rotting sort of dog head, um, and they show the scenes that he can be seen in, and they zoom in on him, and they show some cast photos, and they, they talk, different members of the crew talk about how... Um, uh, between takes, all the extras in their costumes would pull up their masks and drink water, but there was this one dog person that would never pull their mask up, and the crew members <laughs> thought it was so strange, and then like in the cafeteria where all the cast and crew was eating and drinking there was just this one extra that <laughs> sat there with his mask on he's like I, I can't get found out in craft services <laughs> it is it's absolutely amazing that is the highlight of the documentary um tied <laughs> tied only with the story about how marlon brando insisted on having the littlest man on earth be his sidekick because he took such a liking to this dude and so he um basically uh demanded that this little man who was just supposed to be an extra sort of role switch places with someone who was scripted to be his actual sidekick and had a lot of lines and so um all the scenes with uh um that little man (laughs) uh, featured uh... prominently uh is is just because of marlon brando saying that (laughs) this dude is the best we need to have him he's my he's my dude that's uh that's Nelson De La Rosa, just <laughs> for, for reference. Shout out to that guy. Uh, two foot four. Oh my gosh. It just and apparently the, the in, their dynamic is the inspiration behind the uh, the mini-me bit yes. from yeah. Austin Powers. Because <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, like, they're literally, they sit the guy on top of a piano that Brando is playing, and he's playing a smaller piano. Oh, dude. And when they showed... It's like, it's like a joke. It's like a comedy scene. <laughs> Yeah, and I thought it was so I thought it was so peculiar and interesting in the movie. And then when the documentary illuminated why this dude is around, and then when it like flashed the Doctor Evil image, and then it also <laughs> flashed um Jesus uh, two South Park characters who were based on uh, uh on these dudes, like I-, I was whooping at the screen. It was amazing. <laughs> Dude, I might have to watch that documentary I now. I have fuck. to see it too. I mean, this is this is very high praise. Yeah, and, it is, uh, it's awesome. There's also just something so funny to me about. <laughs> I know who will bring in John Frankenheimer, <laughs> like a guy who's like as the Wikipedia page sort of illuminates this a little bit more, which is sort of where I'm basing it off of. But like, they basically brought in a dude whose whole reputation is like ruling his set with an iron fist well, so he... i'm picturing this like principal basically trying to like garner in a bunch of like unruly school kids that don't give a shit 
He was an old pro though. Like he like yeah. He was like of a of a film industry that didn't really exist anymore. Like if you if you needed somebody to come in and and and, and <laughs> get your shit together, get shit together. I'd call John Frankenheimer and and that's why it's fascinating seeing him on this like what is effectively in a way just like a a somewhat self serious creature feature, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's so weird. But I mean, like, if you look at all the other like Doctor Moreau adaptations, like, um, yeah, yeah, the one from the thirties or like the the one from I think it's thirty two with uh, with Charles Lawton and Bella Lugosi. I think Charles Lawton is like one of the finest actors of like you know the early twentieth century. I think he's like one of the. This first, is that class we were talking about, first, audience. Oh, get out of here! <laughs> um, but so. I think he's one of the finest like actors of like the early 20th century, like very respectable stage actor. I mean, uh, like witness for the prosecution and uh, he directed night of the hunter, like a great, great actor. Um, and again, you have Burt Lancaster and the other one. So you've got like these great, wonderful parts and this sort of great, I guess, pedigree before like with this genre and, 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 and like the film and uh, a book by HG Wells, that's very admired. And then, you kind of get this, which honestly, when I first saw the opening credits, I was like, they look like the <laughs> Resident Evil game. Yeah, like, <laughs> so, it, it looks like that or some like Silent Hill shit. It's so aggressively 90s. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I, I feel like it, this this movie, like it it has like all like, these, these occupations and these ideas and these themes that I don't think are very well developed. But as like a whole, like I still... I still really enjoyed it. Like I like the first half more than the second half. Like it's kind of garbage, but like at the same time, like <laughs> you just look at it and you think of what it could have been. Like I think if it had James Woods and Bruce Willis and everything went according to plan, it probably would have been a pretty good movie like the other ones. But right, yeah, and that's um that's what's so fascinating too. And like there's something about even just like when you picture like what Bruce Willis is like in that role and then you just look at david thewlis who is an actor i think is good but his like whole vibe is just not a bruce willis vibe you know what i mean yeah i don't know like he just sort of he just sort of looks like a dork and it's like oh this is our guy okay He's he's got a decent everyman look though. I think totally bruce, yeah. bruce willis would bring an entirely different vibe to it and uh um, they should have just made this movie closer to Die Hard <laughs> yeah, when Bruce Willis it. was peak everyman. It had the explosive budget in the back half. Like honestly, like, I was yeah. thinking all that, and I was like, you know, if Billis was here, this would have been much better. But Billis, <laughs> <laughs> that's what we call him to save time. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, I guess for anybody who doesn't know, because we we didn't, it sounds like. Uh, I'm just going to give a quick rundown of what this movie is about. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to try and uh, we can get into it a little more specifically. So uh, according to Wikipedia, the year is 2010. I didn't think that mattered, but it's 2010, which I guess was hmm. enough of the future from 1996, but I'm assuming they kept that intact from the book, which was written in 1896. So I'm assuming it was meant to sound like the distant future. A century, a century on on like on the year it was released. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And so yeah, I'm ass- I'm assuming that is the case, but I don't know. Um. Anyway, so Edward Douglas is um a guy in a life raft, and he is recovered <laughs> by a a boat, a pirate ship kind of looking boat that's got a man named Montgomery on it, played by a 
Val Kilmer in what is just a a brutally, I think, like just a weirdly miscast thing for Val Kilmer to be doing, especially <laughs> at that point in his career. Well, we got to remember it wasn't even his he initial didn't want cast, to do it right? he didn't want to do it like, he was gonna be the david thewlis character and then they they but switched he, him he was, because well, you, yeah he just didn't want to he wanted to work less yeah he wanted to work less he was going through a divorce he wanted um f- he wanted to do about 40 percent of what he was scripted to do <laughs> as the main character and so the director uh i think richard stanley was still on at the time um yeah richard stanley just said well well We'll switch you with this dude because he does forty percent of what you do. So there you can, go. Can you imagine going to work to any of our jobs and being like, "Hey, you know, really happy to be here. Loving, loving, loving my time here. Happy to work. Uh, can I do about sixty percent less than I'm currently doing?" And how do you guys feel about? And that? they're what like, think? "Well, were you in Batman Forever?" <laughs> then no. Yeah, I was in <laughs> Batman Forever. <laughs> oh, then okay, fine, sure. <laughs> so, um. And, you know, he uh, Montgomery is like helping him out, getting him hydrated. He was trapped on this like life raft. He was in a plane crash, whatever. And Montgomery's like, don't worry, don't worry. I got it. I got it. I'm taking you to Moreau's Island. And he's like, <laughs> David Thewlis is like, what the fuck is that? And he's like, you'll find out. It doesn't matter. Believe it. It doesn't matter. And um, they get there and they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll let you radio and we'll get you off this island. Don't touch anything. Don't look at anything. Um, I'm going to actually just lock you in this room and uh just stay here and obviously our boy edward douglas is pretty suspicious of everything that's going on here and the long and short of it is he discovers that uh marlon brando's dr moreau is attempting not even attempting he has very much succeeded in creating animal human hybrids by like merging dna and uh is attempting to create some sort of utopian society uh where he has like eliminated all anger and malice and like evil from society and he rules it as a god because he has implanted all of these animal people with like devices that he can trigger that cause pain and the back half just becomes like uh oh the the half animal people are overthrowing the the corrupt tyrant man look what happens when you play god yeah (laughs) I'm going to get rid of all your sunscreen, Marlin. Get fucked. Look out for my undeveloped pseudo-intellectual themes. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't it deep that we put an animal man in a tuxedo? This movie it feels like feels like it's based on a book that was written in foot in 1896. It really does. You can just tell by their names in the delivery. Like it's like uh, it's like I was off the coast of Java, but I'm part of the United Nations and <laughs> and I met a man named Montgomery, and I am named Edward Douglas. Like it's like <laughs> Doctor Moreau. Yeah, I don't know. Mm. Like it's all it's dripping with like with like its subject matter, but like the way that it's redressed is in like the most nineties way possible. Like the tra- shit in the world. The tra- yeah, tra- like just l- Val Kilmer looking like he walked off the Top Gun set onto this one, <laughs> like, <Yeah>. just glistening. <laughs> <laughs> hamming it up not giving a single fuck about what he's doing <laughs> okay um you know we're basically here but uh now that we've got a bit of a plot down, plot rundown sorted i'm sure we'll get to the rest of it uh i'll do i'll do mitch and then leave again this is what we did last time uh mitch just overall thoughts what did you think about the island of dr moreau 
Honestly, I thought I wasn't going to like it, and I was like, I put it off until the last minute. I watched it far too late last night, and then I spent, I stayed up far too late beyond that reading about it. But um, I honestly was not that disappointed with, like, I thought I was, I thought I was walking into the cannon fire with this one, but I also had read a lot of things about it, so I wanted to see it as a curiosity. Um, and as a curiosity, I think it's, it's, it's pretty good. Like, it's not a great film, but it is an interesting film. Uh, and I think it's one of those films that you read about where the, the production is more interesting than the actual film. Like I think Fitzcarraldo <laughs> is another good example of that, but Fitzcarraldo is actually a, a good movie, but right. <laughs> um, I don't know. There's a lot to like, and there's a lot of like, like what could have been. And there's a lot of things that I think they did really well. Like I thought the set design was great. Um, mm. I, one of the things that I really loved. And I, I honestly really like Marlon Brando's performance, even though I recognize that it's not really great, but it is very Brando. And as somebody who admires <laughs> Brando's performances, I mean, long before earpieces were big enough, he was looking off cue cards at the corners of the room. And <laughs> so, I mean, and famously fighting and clashing with directors, what a colorful character. And uh, so it's very much like a Brando performance and it's, it has that sort of signature spontaneity that, that he was kind of known for. And I really love the scenes that he's in, like the scene where he gets mauled. Like that is, a, I really liked that scene. I was like, Oh shit. Like it, it kind of shocked me even though I knew it was coming. Yeah. Um, I think, I think his performance just to cut in quickly is like, it's, it's no less like Brando esque poetic than anything else. It's just silly. Cause he's in big robes and painting his face white. Yeah. But that's like part of what makes it great. Like this guy is at like the end of his career and people are like, this film got six Razzies. Like it was like the, Oscar, <laughs> it was like the Oscars of shit. Like this film was like, this film was like Titanic or like Lawrence of Arabia, but like the opposite. Everyone hated it. Um, but it had the budget and it, and it had like the trappings. And I think it's just like an interesting idea of like a model of, a blockbuster that doesn't really exist anymore like this sort of this sort of style like i don't think we could have this today with the same kind of color it's like different worlds colliding from different points in film history marlon brando the old pro and you've got frankenheimer too it's, it's just such an interesting crossroads in in film history yeah totally also just as a note too on on a along with the reviews it also only made just under 10 million more dollars than its budget was yeah it's not like it cost 40 million made 49.6 <laughs> I, that's i think Fuck. that's considered a loss technically oh it is because th that does that probably doesn't include marketing yeah. or the fact that it was released probably like in a ton of markets like overseas and everything like yeah that's not good um anyway liam how about you what did you think about the island of dr moreau I really like this movie, man. Um, <laughs> boy, was I surprised. So uh, despite knowing the production uh, issues, um, generally, I mean, I, I didn't brush up on them before watching it. So it had been about a year, a year and a half uh, since I had last read about them. But I knew I knew the production was troubled, um, famously <laughs> troubled. I mean, I imagine most productions are troubled when you really get down to down to brass tacks but this was famously troubled um and uh famously bad uh, i had heard of the razzies thing too um i knew this was marlon brando late in his career and so um i was expecting very little from him val kilmer the same um and uh 
I made sure to watch the movie before I watched the documentary because I wanted to give the movie as fair a shake as I could. You know, I already knew all this production stuff, so I couldn't take it just as is, but I didn't want to have any further insight. Um, I didn't want to go into the movie looking for uh, fascination in the bad. I wanted to try to just take it as a regular movie as best as it would let me. I didn't know how much it would let me do that. And I found that it came across really well, actually. Um, If I didn't know about the production, you know, if it hadn't been so famous, if it didn't take up so much of the Wikipedia page, if it hadn't just become such a big deal, both now and then, Um, because in the documentary, they show you so many headlines, um, and news clippings from the production, um, you know, where these publications are talking about, oh, Bruce Willis is out of the Moreau movie and, uh, uh, the movie's budget has doubled and and just all these articles that are, that are coming out, you know, kind of condemning the movie even before it has been released, um, which is fair because a, a lot was going on. There's a lot to report on, but I think it's it's one of those cases um, that ha- certainly happens a lot nowadays, where a movie is sort of doomed before it comes out, not because of the production, um, because a lot of movies have really troubled productions any piece of art is the same way albums uh people kill themselves to make them and would never want to do them again mitch just mentioned Fitzcarraldo, which has such a famously troubled production but that's a movie that turned out really good and so troubled production doesn't necessarily mean bad but i think when that stuff is getting published so much um people are going to go into it with a certain impression And now I'm not saying that anyone who thinks this movie is bad isn't giving it a fair shake. And I'm not saying that this movie um, is is a masterpiece, anything like that. But I was surprised at how much good I actually found there to be. Um, I was really impressed by Marlon Brando um, because (laughs) this is like really like my first Marlon (laughs) performance, right? Imagine that. And I was expecting him to be a late career Bruce Willis. Uh, One of my least favorite actors is Bruce Willis, certainly nowadays. um, (laughs) uh, We just spent so much time talking about him. He didn't say that you hated him. Oh, yeah. Well, my mom taught me, you know, don't say anything uh, bad. Oh, I thought your mom taught you to hate Bruce Willis where that was going. (laughs) No, no. Now, Liam, did you finish your breakfast? Yes. Did you brush your teeth? Yes. Did you remember to pray for the death of Bruce Willis today? Yes, I did, mom. Fuck. (laughs) No, my hatred for Bruce Willis is why I moved out of the house. They wouldn't put up with it anymore. They had to cut ties. They had a um, shrine. Die Hard is a Christmas movie. <laughs> Come on, my parents. And it's Christmas every day. My parents are like over the age of sixty. They love Bruce Willis. I'm a I'm a bastard child. But I do not like. <laughs> I don't like Bruce Willis, uh, especially nowadays. He just rubs me the wrong way. But even yeah. retroactively, um, he's just not really one of my guys. And I was expecting Marlon Brando would be giving off late career Bruce Willis vibes, where I can just tell he doesn't want to be there. He's. Tr- giving the just the flattest performance um could be done by anybody um super uninteresting <laughs> that's what that's what i was expecting man and i thought that he did great i loved his character i i and some of this like 
maybe if, this is if Brando is anything he's incapable of being flat that's right I guess so hey so so if I liked him here I've got to see his other stuff because I was just captivated by this dude I loved the way he talked like right when he first showed up um I and he, he opened his mouth because he shows up in all this white paint and his head is shaved and he's got these robes on and stuff so I was expecting to laugh at this dude and 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 not be into it and then he started talking and i was like man i really believe this dude what the heck i thought i thought the actor didn't care about this at all but it maybe he's just so good that even when he's uh not into it he uh is just amazing i don't know what it is but i really loved his performance um i was living through personal tragedy like when this movie was made as well that's he was yeah his uh his daughter had committed suicide right as the production started and so he went from being uh super interested in the movie again like he he loved Richard Stanley and then Richard Stanley being removed and of course his his daughter um committing suicide just really uh kind of of course i mean he he that's that's what might have influenced a lot of his behavior i guess because he was now uh um well, you know, and so they, they didn't know if he was going to show up because uh, he went away for a little while after that tragedy and they were waiting for him to come around. And so they started shooting the lifeboat sequences when Richard Stanley was still there, hoping that by the time they get to the island, Marlon Brando would be there. And eventually he showed up and uh, and uh, he did what he did. I really like what he did. I like David Thewlis as well. Um his his everyman shtick i think i think that works cool i i bought him um as a real person and i am glad that val kilmer did not play that role because i did not like val kilmer in the movie i thought that he was doing the bruce willis thing um where it didn't seem like he wanted to be there um and i didn't even know who val kilmer was when i was watching this movie (laughs) I also I haven't seen any Val Kilmer movies, and I know that Val Kilmer is right well, you've next heard to of Batman Forever. <laughs> yeah, I certainly have. Um, I knew Val Kilmer was on the poster right there next to uh, Marlon Brando, so I assumed he was the main character, like uh, most people would have, I guess. But because I didn't know what Val Kilmer looked like back then, um, he showed up in Jay and Silent Bob reboot last year, so I know what he looks like now. But I didn't know what he looked like back then, and so I thought for most of the movie that David Thewlis was Val Kilmer something about it kind of felt off where I was like that doesn't quite look like what I would have envisioned Batman at the time to look like and then Brianna um, said hey that's uh, Professor Lupin from Harry Potter and I was like oh yeah it does kind of look like him but I think that's Val Kilmer and then uh, and then Val Kilmer shows up on screen and Brianna's like, uh, man, if that guy isn't the most discount Brad Pitt I've ever seen in my life. And I was like, yeah, it does look like discount Brad Pitt. But I didn't put two and two together until uh, near the end of the movie. I, I had it sorted. I was like, OK, I think that actually is Professor Lupin. But I still doubted it because I've never heard of David Thewlis um, David being Thewlis attached to the movie at all. David doesn't look like a guy who would be named Val Kilmer. Yeah, no. He, like Val Kilmer looks like a guy who has that name. He really doesn't. But <laughs> through all my reading of this movie, I had never internalized that 
Val Kilmer wasn't playing the main character role and that there was some other person doing it. And so it didn't well, make he's not sense the, to like, me. Why is David Thewlis, his name isn't even on the poster. That's what I'm saying. Like they, <laughs> they totally buried him and he's not in the documentary. They don't talk about him at all. And what so, the fuck? so I was abs. Like I had to look it up after the documentary. I was like, what is going on here? My man, David Thewlis is getting fucking shafted. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. I mean, while we're yeah. on the subject of like of like the actors and their performances, honestly, I thought Val Kilmer was like pretty garbage in this movie. I mean, like, I have like just like I got really pissed off by some of his deliveries. I mean, you could just tell that he didn't want to be there. Oh, dude, didn't give a fuck. Like, yeah, he was I'm with you, Mitch. Long delivered pauses, like, oh, these rabbits are for animal research like <laughs> yeah he was he was good. probably trying to just have a good time but he didn't care if it was good acting yeah like, i don't even know if he was trying to have a good well in certain senses i think he was but i think he was trying to sleep with members of the cast but but uh, and richard <laughs> stanley vetoed it pretty quickly but vetoed him sleeping with members of the cast yeah yeah so i don't know <laughs> um well, yeah, he was just like he was. He was just. I don't know. It's 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 no surprise that his career kind of went down the toilet after this. <laughs> um. Well. Uh. We're kind of gonna have three three different perspectives, I think, and I think that's fun. I also sort of came into this like, hey, with the reputation this movie has, it's probably gonna be bad, but at least it might be spectacularly bad. But I tried to, you know, be op- as open minded as possible. Um. There's stuff about this movie I like, as we've said. I agree with Mitch that it's mostly in like production design, and obviously Stan Winston, who we somehow haven't mentioned, and it's been an hour, almost. Uh, fucking absolutely grand slam knocked it out of the park with the makeup effects. Everybody looks fantastic, but um, uh, I don't know. This movie just feels really dumb like it it's dumb but it has like like moments of, of of like camp greatness like it's, it's like pulled uh, right it, tell like telemarked camp greatness like you can it feels like thematic thematically there was no attempt made to meaningfully update a text that was literally a hundred years old Perhaps, and yeah. so like it's it's got these big grandiose ideas about like the nature of what it means to be human and what it means to be civilized and um you know these stances on violence that people take and like what utopia means and also like um just sort of like weird racial politics too like it doesn't really seem to think critically about like dr moreau as a white man who literally paints himself entirely white and lords over a group of uh half animal people that he created that are largely played by uh actors of color they don't seem to really critically think about that at all and that doesn't feel great definitely don't watch islands of souls from the 30s i guess <laughs> oh well uh, yeah but like and i i don't want to give a movie a pass because that's not cool but like i at least know it's the 30s yeah. this was 1996 yeah. like it feels like it's not thinking critically about its text and also it feels like a script that got rewritten a lot mm-hmm. like i don't know it's just kind of a fucking mess um yeah, well- i think I think Brando is charming. Definitely. Like he's, he's having a good time. Uh, I think the back half of the movie is like wildly underwritten. They're just like, okay. And now there's going to be a revolt, but he's going to be fine. And then he gets to leave, but nobody else gets to leave. Oh, well. Um, 
interesting ideas. Like I think I think having a seer of the law or a sayer of the law rather is kind of cool. Like I like that character, the Ron Perlman character. Um, that was neat. But yeah, I don't know. It's just sort of like um it's not like spectacularly bad, but I almost wish it were because I don't think I liked enough of it to really give it a pass. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I would honestly, I would probably give this like a thumbs up. I would say like you should see it. Maybe not the first thing you should see, but yeah. Watch it with the documentary, it sounds like. That sounds like a good way to go about it. You were talking about Ron Perlman's performance, and I think that he is genuinely threatening in, in his role. I think it's a very underwritten role, but I feel like his like presence in the makeup there is really, really strong. He, and obviously like he's an actor who knows how to make good use of like being under makeup and prosthetic right like he wasn't cast as hellboy for nothing right. and um i feel like he's just got a good handle on how to do that don't laugh at me <laughs> it's just it's, it's funny to think that guillermo del toro could have been a huge Watch fan this. of island of dr Moreau and was like that's our hellboy he knows how to act in the makeup um but i i, I like that i just i think the biggest thing for me is like you can tell and the Wikipedia article sort of gestures at this, but you can tell that like New Line Cinema as a company were like, this is our big, you know, gritty adult, like thought provoking, serious movie that's got like crazy shit going on in it. And for the end result to just be like something that feels like weirdly like antiquated and moralizing and underwritten is just like man you guys did not crush it but i think aesthetically the movie's got a lot more to like um i really like where they ended up shooting um i like the big house that brando is set up in um i think all of that is uh is cool i don't know i like i can think of like set pieces and things that stick out throughout the movie but it doesn't like coalesce into anything I thought some of the interior cinematography was really exceptional in, in Moreau's house, like with like the multiple layers of blinds and windows and mosquito yeah. and mosquito netting. Like it looked like it looked like something like William Wyler would do. Like it looked like the some of the uh, like some a- of the evening cinematography and the lighting was like borderline neo-noir. There's like fucking Venetian blinds everywhere. Yeah, so like some of it was honestly like pretty like stylish and good. Like the, it had a lot of it, it had a lot going in the first half. They had me in the first half, but not in the second. Not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> I I think the big thing though is like a movie of this stature that has these goals has to be more than like it's got some pretty good stuff in it. You know, like its goals were higher as a production. So therefore, like the bar has to be raised somewhat, and then I guess you lower it because of the production history, and then you put it somewhere in the fucking middle. Like (laughs) it, it, it's like such a good like it exists like on so many different levels. Like like we were talking about like the negative aspects that it feels like a book from the nineteenth century, and I think that's totally true for like because you know it stinks of colonialism and all that. But Christ. like at the same time, like it also has like this sort of like streak of like a classic adventure and sort of like camp and pulp that kind of like, comes with that. I, but the story. the pulp the pulp does feel bored of like actors not giving a shit. Though. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, <even laughs> like, and right off the bat, like when that guy gets stabbed in the life raft and then he goes in the water and the next shot is like a shark. A shark. Oh <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it's like the perfect. <laughs> cliche like you, you know exactly what you're gonna get when when that's like your cut um 
the image that sticks in my mind, similar vein, is the fucking Apocalypse Now Pope mobile that we get. Yeah, and I think one of the interesting things about like Apocalypse Now and all of that, like I read that Richard Stanley and Marlon Brando, like one of the main reasons that they bonded was for their love of Heart of Darkness. And Brando wasn't done with exploring those ideas yet, even though he had played Kurtz, oh, I guess over a decade before this movie. 20, 20 years-ish? Uh, even more, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so he hadn't played, played Kurtz for a long time, but that was one of the reasons why they became pals is because Richard Stanley wanted to explore those ideas. And, and this performance is very Kurtz. Like very you Kurtz. can hear it. Yeah. yeah. Like, and even from like the, from like the set design and like their, in like the sort of um, village, like of like the people that they have where there's like a crashed plane and sort of got like this Island of, I mean, it's got, it's got similar Dr. Moreau, Dr. Moreau, but it's also got like this <laughs> kind of colonial underpinnings that Kurtz does in apocalypse now. And, yeah. Uh, well, and like, present. so he's, he's got these like children for the phrase of the movie that either call him master or father or the father. And, um, he's got them dressed up in like rich people, bougie dress clothes and um the whole sort of society structure that he's building here is like no evil no malice and no violence like no killing no anything he's trying to make like like a utopian social race of like pure pure goodness people and he's doing that through very like normie means of like classical music and like you know reading good literature and i was gonna say gershwin exactly yeah um and, uh, you know, again, the, the thing that I can't get around is you have this old fucking white guy and he's moralizing at people that he literally constructed out of um, animals and by way of the casting, like black and brown bodies. So it feels really racist. And the movie makes no attempt to look into that any further. Yeah, I mean, Brandon... And it's just like... His character is so hypocritical like in so many ways. And I feel like the movie doesn't really examine his hypocrisy. The contradictions, yeah. The contradictions in a satisfying and complete way. He just kind of gets mauled and it's like an incomplete sentence. But Yeah, well, because then that's ongoing almost separately from the... uh, everything going on with the sayer of the law and like uh the hyena man <laughs> who is like revolting after his his friend lo mai or lee may or whatever it was got got murdered by jango fett and like <laughs> that feels like a whole separate like the plots feel completely like unrelated to one another <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna. Lie. I'm not gonna lie. Like, I watched this movie at like midnight, and like near the end, in the last half, like I wasn't. I, I was paying attention. Like, I watched the whole thing, but like, I I have to tell you, like, I once once I was falling asleep. I'll just admit it. Yeah, like once Val Kilmer <laughs> was doing Marlon Brando impersonations, I was like, <laughs> what the actual fuck is going on? <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know, man. Like, what about so Liam? I feel like you haven't chimed in in a bit because you said you really liked it. So like. What are we missing, or at least what am I missing? Because Mitch did like some of it. Yeah, yeah like, no. What <laughs> I think Mitch and I are very much on the same page because I I found myself losing it in the last half as well. I found once Marlon Brando was mauled, which is a great scene. I found a lot of the tension was gone, um, and I thought that um, the 
the thematic stuff and the actual like the actual writing of the movie like the narrative um was now all out in the open to to flounder like as it is because there's really not much there um i don't i don't have anything to say uh grand about what this movie is saying um i like i i i wasn't as bothered by the stuff that um feels very 19th century you know about man and animal and civilization and stuff i I I wasn't blown away by it, right? Because it's stuff I've I've heard before, but I found it uh, sort of charming. Just that this movie feels straight from uh, the 1800s with like uh, 80s camp to it. Um, uh, but but what really sold the movie for me was just that uh, the action adventure camp elements um that really come through in the first half that i feel are lost in the second half because we're not really there's not a whole lot of performances um there it's like the movie is now trying really hard to do uh the actual storytelling but it's not able to do it um because it just has the animal people uh, revolting for half an hour or so, which I don't think is the way the story should most effectively be told. But in that first half, um, I mean, I was just so into the costumes, um, the makeup, loved that stuff. I thought the animal people, like you said, Corey looked amazing and not just like your typical sort of cats 2020 looking yeah, animal no, it's, people. It's unbelievable. But there's some really gnarly like horror type stuff in here um like the yeah they sure they sure gloss over the horse lady (laughs) oh yeah the horse lady and then there's like the sow lady who's like has all these breasts and then that's oh that's what i meant oh yeah okay okay um (laughs) yeah the fucked up the one like science fiction horror scene in the metallic room oh like when (laughs) she's giving birth yeah it's fucked up oh yeah and then uh our boy nelson the little man uh he just looks so fucking cool yeah i don't know what's going on with that dude that dude's wild (laughs) um i loved that um i and i i I really liked uh just following david thewlis around for the first half as he's talking to the various island people um it, it it's the same reason I like the Nick Cage uh, Wicker Man movie. I <laughs> talked about it on that episode where I just I like the island setting. I like the fish out of water. Like this person's just plopped down on this land and they've got to figure out what's up. I mean, I like Lost, and this gave me Lost vibes. Just if I remember correctly, and, yeah. I didn't. I also didn't really like the Wicker Man. <laughs> yeah, no, you, right? yeah. you didn't like so. the Wicker Man. Um, but I like. <laughs> I like that tone of it just feels like a like a open world video game where we're following uh, David Thewlis and he's just talking to these various people and sort of learning about what's going on on the island. And every once in a while, uh, something big happens. Um, but in between all those moments, it's just like you get to ogle at the production design, all these like cool secondary and tertiary characters in uh in makeup and i really loved fruza bulk's performance holy moly i thought i thought she was like so 
enthralling i I already love her because uh she's in a movie called the craft from the same year that is just like one of my favorite movies but she's she's playing a totally different role here so i haven't seen her like this before and i thought she was just like entrancing so i liked i really liked her and i every time someone died in this movie i was surprised as well which was a lot just just really quick though but like with her character like did it not bother you that like she's got like nothing like just no there's just nothing there at all other than a horrible dancing sequence at the start that's almost like laughable but i yeah it's so lame and it's (laughs) just like oh wow okay so we've established the the one um she gets to you know be important just because she's the daughter and also the only woman here but they give her like basically no personality other than "Uh uh-oh might be becoming an animal and then David Thewlis gradually goes from like, oh, cool, a hot stranger to like really, really deeply caring by the end. But there's no clear reason as to why. Mm-hmm. Like they don't have. There's nothing to their like relationship interactions to like flesh it out in a meaningful way. We get that one conversation that she has with Marlon Brando where she's like, why am I different from you? And that's like it. Oh, you wouldn't want to be me. Like it's it's just uh... <laughs> no no. Pour that ice on my head, darling. <laughs> yeah, no, please, no, please cover my dolphin head with ice. No, give me, give my head a snow cone. But I mean, like it's just it's so like horribly underwritten. And in the end, they just like hang her, and it's like, like and there's no like there's no anything to that. No, like there's no emotional no, anything. No it's emotional even the same thing when like it's dead. Like hyena guy gets out. And that fucking, you know, leopard man, Mark DeCascos, dies. And um, Jango Fett gets a taste for blood. And it's just like, I don't care about any of this. <laughs> like, you know, whatever. Yeah, you know, maybe we shouldn't be forcing the animal-human hybrids to uh, live like um, turn-of-modernity wannabe wealthy people who, like, show you around their parlor from that time they went and watched the the fucking islanders do a, do a jig at, like a traveling circus like maybe we should let them do whatever they want but like the movie just doesn't do a lot it's got a lot of pageantry around those things like i talked about the apocalypse now pope mobile and obviously the like uh shock therapy method of control and um the sort of like very utopian but bland thoughts about like oh no violence or whatever and just like you know fighting it back against those like restrictions of society i guess is interesting on paper but like in action again it's just like i the movie never does the thing where it's like this is why you care about this yeah here it is but i mean at the same time again i guess liam in a similar vein like uh were you into that part of it like because if my biggest complaint seems to be that things are underwritten did you like it in spite of that or did you like parts of that um i did like parts of it i would say i liked it in spite of it because it's not my big takeaway um the actual uh dialogue and uh the ideas that are being presented that's not my big takeaway but i did like some of it um 
I liked um, Dr. Moreau bonding with his his little animal people, um, not just the the little the little man when he's playing piano with him and uh, just always has him at his side. But I also really liked Dr. Moreau teaching his children about uh, piano and like telling them about notes and stuff. I thought that was really cool. Um, and then once he dies, I thought there was actually like a pretty great um scene that i thought like honestly like it wouldn't have it wouldn't surprise me if the scene like became iconic um for good reasons maybe if it like wasn't in such a such a strange movie i thought this (laughs) animal person was saying uh that that is the law scene and he's like going on about all the laws on the island and he's like really getting angry about it and uh realizing that he's been just saying just saying the opposite thing is the law now yeah like i i I liked that performance man and i i kind of i bought into what that character uh was saying i bought the expression and so i would say that altogether the the movie's ideas um don't they don't coalesce and and there's no bow tied on them really as hard as the movie tries like with that closing narration um there's there's no bow and i don't think there are seams in between the scenes to like tie all these things together because i found in the last half hour the revolting just felt really samey and there wasn't enough progression um happening there wasn't enough groundwork being laid but then um i found the movie would occasionally pull me back in like i i was actually really affected by uh feruza bulk's death um where she gets hanged i thought that was kick-ass i liked the way it was shot where it's her silhouette dropping suddenly and um uh every death in the movie really surprised me um Marlon Brando's death included um and so there there were quite a bit of moments where the movie uh did capture me and and I would agree with you Corey that her character is absolutely underwritten she doesn't have a lot to do but it didn't bother me because the actress was clearly doing the best she could and I right. thought was doing a really good job with it you know like if if I didn't speak English and I watched the move like those scenes (laughs) i would be like i would be like this is the best scene that's ever been on a movie she's spitting fire right now and uh that's not actually this movie would be great if i didn't understand it at all (laughs) whereas in contrast val kilmer doesn't have much to do either i mean i would say he has more to do than she does but he does way way less with it and so he bothered me way more than she did and so i found her death affecting because she actually felt like a real a real person yeah she didn't bother me at all like i do agree that like the actors who feel like they're still committed to the project are doing what they can like none of it's egregious or anything also liam uh i mean this in the absolute nicest way possible i wish i had the capacity to get stuff out of movies the way you do because i feel like this is a conversation we have on this show a lot where like there's a movie that i don't like and you managed to get like the emotional heart of it anyway and i'm just like man what's that like (laughs) you know what's it like to always get that part out of it and that's something that that, that this movie has like a lot of like i I think i think it has like i would much rather a movie like this that has i guess even though it doesn't say it well it has something to say than just like a like a just like a directionless sort of movie And, and in a lot of ways this movie is directionless but 
I think it, like it, you can you can see like the evidence of like them trying, and it has some interesting to say. It just doesn't say it very well. It's a, it's such a <laughs> such an oddball of a movie that it's just the novelty worth seeing. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know if it does really have something to say. Well, and like, do you, well, like it does, but like, is it like that allegory at the end too, cheap, where it's like cheap? Like, it's not doesn't say it well, but like it, it's it's grasping, um, and sometimes it's painful. But I sometimes <laughs> that, it does it really well. Like some of the, that narration at the ending is fucking hilarious. Yeah, like I think, and I go in fear. What if humans are the real animals? Am I right, gamers? But I mean, like, I think like the scene where Brando is is killed, like that, like ten minute sequence, I think is like the, like that bit is like really golden. I think it's a really good like um, summation of like the themes and how it works. Even though it's a bit like heavy handed and a bit like (laughs) lacking in subtlety, I think I think like it 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 works and like um, emotionally and and, like all these ideas sort of colliding with with really strong performances. I think it's like that sort of like 10, 10 minutes was great. I, I do also, um, I think it's just fascinating that ostensibly our protagonist is just a guy who sort of goes from like scene to scene and maybe he's trying something or maybe he's not. Yeah. And he's largely trying to achieve a goal unrelated to everything that is happening around him. But he's with the, that's kind of neat. He's with the United Nations, you know, I mean, he's, he's out there to 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 do the do the thing and be the dude but he's not there to do it in that place oh no but i i I don't know i feel it's just like this man is morally uh or i don't know upstanding or whatever well i mean he's with the united nations someone in the life raft but i mean you know desperate times (laughs) yeah (laughs) um yeah i uh there were times like there were times where i caught myself watching this movie where like i almost fell under its spell like i don't know if i if i completely did but there were times where i was like where like i don't know i was under i was under like a light a light portion of its incantation i wasn't totally (laughs) but like it was you were getting there it was hooking you slowly like i don't know There there were parts about it that i just found kind of compelling like even though they were underwritten and blah blah <laughs> there, there were parts um i saw on online i was like looking up this movie and there's a bunch of dudes i think it was almost unilaterally dudes who were just like this is one of the greatest science fiction films ever made <laughs> blah 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 it's got so much to it it's so deep and it's so provoking and you know everything about it is amazing and um i i'm not surprised that this movie has that fan base to it based on what we're talking about. Like there is definitely like, cause I think that reaction is even separate from Liam's reaction, which is just positive, mm-hmm. but like the acolytes to it, like I'm not at all surprised this movie has that, yeah. but like it's definitely people who are hitching to their wagon to a maligned thing that they think makes them seem smart rather than like an actual good movie definitely i mean i was, I was jeans <laughs> in my opinion anyway <laughs> yeah i mean gene siskel gave this movie a thumbs up interestingly enough which i the inferior half of siskel and he yeah, <laughs> yeah the, the, the prudish <laughs> half but he gave it a thumbs up which i thought was kind of i don't know his takes were always wonk but <laughs> i i get i can understand why people would like it and like liam too like i totally get why it would work um it just 
not for me. Do you think you could take like your like I don't know like your thirteen year old son to see this movie and be and have like a great time like? Um. Oh man, that's a great question, Mitch. I was. I don't have custody of him right now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still trying to convince the courts that uh, even though I had him when I was nine years old, I'm a fit father. Last time he was here, I showed him Die Hard, and now they won't let me see him anymore. <laughs> um, I was actually thinking that while the movie was on, I, as I was watching these animal people run around, I was thinking I would have loved this movie when I was a kid. Like This is the sort of movie I would have just watched over and over on VHS tape because it has some sort of weirdness about it that would keep me coming back and i would like remember the big man in white paint and i would like to see the animals yelling at each other and i would like the island setting and so i i really felt that where i was i was thinking man this is a great vhs movie i I would watch it again right now honestly like it's uh i think it's rewatchable if I watch this like when I was like I don't know like thirteen or fourteen I don't know maybe I watch it with my dad or something like take this in on like late night TV like I probably would have had like such a good time watching yeah like, this is um, like I think that there's like there are like in that and I I keep going back to like the pulp but I think like there is like a lot to like kind of enjoy and it's weird and it's awkward and it's stilted and it, it is very like very stylized so I don't know I feel like I probably would have really liked it like at like that if I watched it then I think that's also the audience that would enjoy the pulpier campier like adventure angle that the movie has and it's probably got just enough like dark fucked up shit in it that like you could have like a conversation with some kind of like preteen afterward mm. and be like hey so like what'd you think about that is that you good still you want to talk about it but otherwise they could just sort of like you know su- suck the Indiana Jones parts out of it yeah and uh and have a good time like it's got like the same themes as like ninth grade lit (laughs) right yeah like that yeah like if you watch this while reading lord of the flies yeah like you're in the you're in the headspace you're ready to go (laughs) yeah like you could probably have like a good like like i don't know grade nine debate like four yeah this is like an english class yeah like was dr moreau onto something was he right debate like (laughs) (laughs) i love dude why was that always like the structure for that i was like you were barely given any parameters it's just like discuss (laughs) yes or no debate (laughs) Yeah, there is no room for nuance in this lawless land of ninth grade English class. There's no nuance. You must pick a side. There's no nuance in Doctor Moreau. Like it's either. <laughs> I feel like it's a very black and white yeah. piece of a uh, piece of cinema. Well, even though there should be some nuance, because I mean, he's got those contradictions that we talked God, about earlier. That... Desperate for this movie's desperate for nuance, and I can't help but wonder how much of whatever the original script looked like had that. Yeah, like. I know that this thing got hacked into a bajillion pieces, right? Like, I'm not totally eroding, like, Richard Stanley here um, and Ron Hutchinson even, because I know, like, other people were doing rewrites, like, a shooting was going on, actors were rewriting their own individual lines, people were improvising stuff, like, you know, stuff gets lost in translation when your whole production's a shit show, and I could appreciate that, but I would like to see an interpretation of this that is more interested in like really you know stretching out and digging into those parts of it um 
like looking at what the actual goals are and like the social structure is and why those things don't really make any sense. Um, that'd be neat. But but alas, this it, is what we got. It would be neat, but um, I'm, I guess just because I've heard that story and seen that story told well many times before that I'm not actually interested in like seeing it done again well just because i think this is a this is a sort of story that uh um has already been told in various avenues before i mean lord of the flies is one good example um so i don't think like a, a remake of this movie nowadays i don't think would uh would be worthwhile i don't think it would make much money and i don't think it would have much to say unless you really uh changed a lot of stuff around and so um i guess because i i once i understood what the premise of the movie was as i was watching it that dr moreau is making these animal people and he wants to make a little kingdom it was like okay i get i already get what the movie is saying so i don't actually need it to do any more than that I'll right like like there. that was perfunctory you're like okay got it yeah, and then I just cool, like, moving on to everything else I've read and watched in my life and fill in the blanks. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a fucking Mad Lib. You're just like, Dr. Moreau is a scientist yeah. who is trying to create a perfect society. <laughs> but if you're just- Other people think that is bad. <laughs> uh, Dr. Moreau. <laughs> <laughs> I'm picturing somebody waking up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat, just like fucking Dr. Burrow. <laughs> you piece of shit. <laughs> you fucking dolphin-headed motherfucker. You're the reason I have these paws. You son of a bitch. I'm picturing like a Joker-esque, you want to know how I got these paws? And it's just about Dr. Burrow. Yo, I, I'll tell you what. I would want to watch a remake of this if they go full hog and make dr moreau a dolphin man if that is explicit in the movie then i would watch it do you think they would tease that because he accidentally does like i'm not going to try to replicate it but you know dolphin sound (laughs) yeah Yeah. you know what a dolphin does you ever heard that before like he's like talking and it like slips in and you're like did you just just like dolphin at me bro (laughs) he's like he's like no do you think we'll ever see in our time another adaptation of dr moreau since there's been so many since like the dawn of of like movie making like do you think that the failure of this movie was mean that there will never be another dr moreau what do you think do you think somebody would pick it up <laughs> if so who would you cast as dr moreau Ooh, well how many war of the worlds did we fucking get That's like true. i i could see it like you know uh the our whole podcast is built around things like that inevitably happening mm. so like probably the this system has proven that that is a likely thing um I have no idea who I would cast as Dr. Moreau. Um, give me a sec. All right, I'll step in here. Um, I think... Bruce Willis. <laughs> 50 years from now, Bruce Willis. <laughs> 135-year-old Bruce Willis. He's going to be the, the new oldest man to get an Oscar. Bruce Willis as Dr. Moreau. <laughs> um, oh, man, Christopher Plummer totally could have fucking done this. He could have done it. That would have been amazing. Yeah, that would have been tight. Um, I think, man, my my gut tells me no that this won't be remade just because of uh, its uh, 
I'm, I'm not, I mean, I'm not, I don't want to say outdatedness as a story, but just because the, you know, this story was written a hundred years ago. So many other stories have been written with these themes now. And I think like we kind of understand that, okay, we don't need to turn to the island of Dr. Moreau to get this thing going. But then I think how much longer I, I, I'm likely to be alive, you know, another 60, 70 years and how much shit is going to come out at that time and how much stuff is made uh, constantly that you wouldn't even think is being remade, you know, being made other versions like we've got other versions of Rocky Horror. We have another version of Jacob's Ladder that came out like last year and stuff is just constantly we're going back to the past. And so I will say, yes, that this will be remade is my final answer. And I would like for Dr. Moreau to be played by uh, Jacob Tremblay. He's only like 12 <laughs> years old right now. That was a long but... buildup to that bit. <laughs> I love it. But he's uh, genuinely, I mean, he's young enough now, and I think the remake will come way far down the road that I think Jacob Tremblay at like 50 years old or something, because uh, he, he's got the chops to to keep acting i really like the dude i think he could be a future marlon brando and so i think i think he would be a good dr moreau it's a lot of pressure on jacob tremble i want dr moreau to be played by howie mandel <laughs> kill or no kill <laughs> what if dr That's moreau good. were played by the big show <laughs> he's bald dude, the, big big and bald um i was thinking uh knives out daniel craig <laughs> oh man honestly like that that would be a good pick if this movie were to be remade in the next five years or so yeah yeah, yeah honestly because like he he knows how to like if we're talking camp which i think would still be a necessary element of it at this point he can do that i would see christopher walken in it so that would be yeah good. that would be but good. would that be too much of a bit at that point just because his reputation well i mean like you look at the guys who came before you got like lawton and who was definitely like one for the bit right and uh a man of the bit yeah like hunchback of notre dame and then you know he was a man for the bit so i think i don't know you could do it maybe i don't know brando was kind of a weird casting choice but i think it worked yeah you know fair enough and uh Really quick, who do we want as our main guy? Who's a good everyman? This is a much less inspiring casting choice, evidently. I don't have strong feelings about (laughs) this one. Well, we've got to find someone that's uh, David Thulus-esque because we don't want Dr. Moreau to be overshadowed. I'm going to have, so if I'm casting Howie Mandel as Dr. Moreau, the man man tracker is going to (laughs) play. Is he still on his horse the whole time? He's got his lasso and he's got the get up. (laughs) Maybe he left that one up at uh, the saloon. Oh, that's so fucking (laughs) funny. If you're going with Man Tracker, I'm going with the, I'm going with the I'm going with the guy from Uh Oh, <laughs> like the host, yeah, or the Punisher. <laughs> it's it's Howie Mandel, <laughs> Man Tracker, and then the Punisher is Val Kilmer. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's pretty good. If people if if studios hear this and they're interested, hit us up. Howie, I'm just a call away. 
Um, we got a lot of options. It sounds like somebody call New Line Cinema. Somebody call Richard Stanley. We're gonna give him a chance again. Oh, dude, that would be amazing. That would be absolutely amazing. It was cool watching the documentary because uh, um, this was five years, six years before Color Out of Space came out. And so the documentary ends with him saying, you know, I don't know if I'll ever make a movie again. Um, the vibe is that he he's not sure if he wants to put himself in that position. Um, but he obviously still has this Dr. Moreau story that he never got to tell. And so now that he's back in it and got to come back with color out of space, wouldn't it be amazing if we got Elijah Wood finance? Yeah. Finance it. His Dr. Moreau. And that would be honestly, that would be a really cool way to do it. If it were funded by uh, genre, Spe- like horror yeah, studio vision or something, and they yeah. really went in with more of the body horror leaned into the leaned into that, um, that, uh, Go get the crew that did Possessor. Yeah, yeah, that, that would something. get me way more interested because I, I was anticipating um, an Island of Doctor Moreau remake that just like played it totally straight and big, which I think is what this movie uh, tried to do. Um, um, but luckily, the crew didn't let that happen, uh, and uh, I think that would be far less interesting. But I think if a smaller genre company picked it up, then that would be a really, really. <laughs> good movie to pick up what is what is a24's island of dr moreau look like <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that might be a bit too serious yeah um liam yeah do you want to do you want to bust out the uh the film genero oh i would love to i would love to bust out so the film genero. so mitch mm-hmm. um we uh we are channeling our inner william castle uh, the the hokey filmmaking gimmick king, and um, we have w- the William Castle Film Genero just over here. You can see it here, and um, it is going to pick uh what movie we're gonna watch next week. And what we'll do to sort of help incorporate you into this bit a little a little is uh if you are familiar with the film, you can give us any hints or tips you think we should know going in, or just give us your impression of what you think we're in for. But first, Liam, how many things do we have on this list now? 261. The number did go up by quite a bit again, by like 16. That's massive. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. How much did, how many did you think we were going to have? Because we oh, thought it was going to be like 70. I like 10 or like... <laughs> <laughs> so 261? That's right. Okay. Um, whatever, so, whatever it ends up being, Mitch, you have an open invitation to come on next week and double uh, dip. Whatever it is, you're more than welcome. But uh, the viewer beware. Yeah, spin the wheel. We we start. We we find out what is on what was before that on the list and what's after it on the list, and then we reveal what it is. So I'm going to do a countdown here, and then I'm going to hit generate. I'm going to give Liam the number, and then we're going to do that. All right. This one's for a new couch. Spin the wheel. <laughs> Spin that wheel. Oh, it's a huge number. Wow, that's exciting. Because that means I put it on recently. It's a, it's an extremely large number. Uh, 241? Holy hell. This mm. is, uh, Mitch, we have not gotten a three-digit number yet. All right. I recall putting this on the list. 
Oh boy! Recently. Just for clarity, do you want me to agree before I know the film if I'm coming back or after? No, but that would be hilarious. <laughs> I don't, I, we don't want to put you on the spot right now. We know you're a busy guy. <laughs> Unfortunately, we do have to agree before knowing what it is because we do this every week. <laughs> so, what's before it? All right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give you also what's two items before it because it's interesting. Oh, it places us in history a little bit. Okay, so two items before our movie is Return to House on Haunted Hill. That would have been fucking crazy. So, so we're this is all recent additions, yeah. and then right above it, we've got <laughs> fittingly Thirteen Ghosts remake, another William Castle. Castle movie. So that's the kick. So I was clearly that's where my head was at at the time as I was. And then, so what's movie. what's after it? What's after it? We have. The 2005 remake of When a Stranger Calls. Okay, and now, and what here we it got, is. Corey, hmm? was Bram Stoker's Dracula. <laughs> like the, Fuck like, yeah! Like the Coppola one. Yes. Oh, I'm in. <laughs> That's what you do, like that. Are you coming back? Are you gonna do two in a row? Yeah, I'm in. Fuck yeah! Awesome. Okay, that's is that Keanu? Yeah, Keanu. Yeah, I think is Winona in that too. I yeah, think so. Yeah, and so is Gary. Oh, this is gonna fucking rule. Yeah. I've never seen this movie. I think it's interesting too because we were talking so much about Coppola. I think you know during during this discussion we just coincidentally get a bit of guys. This movie is so long. How long is it? It's two and a half hours. Oh, I can do it. Hang on, I'm gonna check IMDb. Sometimes Google is wrong. No, it's two hours and eight minutes. Okay, that's doable. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good, man. That's ex- Richard. Exciting. Richard Grant is in this fucking movie. Tom Waits. Yeah, everybody's in this movie. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> this is gonna be fucking nuts. <laughs> David Thewlis, what are you doing here? <laughs> oh shit, he plays Dracula. Buried <laughs> that on the poster. Man, we've uh. We're in a very similar wheelhouse again. 90s, based on an old book, renowned directors and folks involved. Kind of like a like a spooky story, a little bit. Yeah, we're we're double dipping for sure. Yeah, this is gonna be great. We did House on Haunted Hill just recently too. This is uh this is a vibe we got going on. Okay, tight. So and then anybody who wants to follow along, Bram Stoker's Bram Bram Stoker's fuck that's right no i said it right bram stoker's dracula right that's right Corey. that's what's next yeah bram all good francis ford coppola's dracula mitch do you have uh do you have stuff you want to plug before we get out of here thanks for stopping by i guess we'll see you next week so you know it won't be too long of a wait yes thank you very much for having me it was it was very fun uh in terms of plugs nah i got nothing to plug i'm just gonna leave the call now but uh see you guys (laughs) Well, it's been a thrill. Liam, uh, what about you? Well, uh... I'm doing it weird. I'm doing it weird because sure. I, I asked about plugs. I don't know. You guys can find my film writing alter ego, Graham the Haunted Marshmallow, on Twitter and Letterboxd. My username is Graham the Mallow. And you can find me on uh, Twitter and Letterboxd at Mr. Corey Price. You can listen to my other podcast, MK PodQuest, uh, with our f- and Final Neil, where we are uh, watching the uh, fantasy television show kung fu action karate hot people fantasy show mortal Kombat conquest and it's called mk podquest on everything and uh thank you all once again for listening to this episode of they made another one 
You can find us all over the internet on Twitter at they made another, which is all one word, and on Letterbox that T M A O. You can find episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, and everything else as they made another one. You can reach us via email at tmaopodcast at gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes, questions, comments, and who you would cast in an updated island of Dr. Moreau. Our fantastic thumbnail art is done by Jay Dickinson, who you can find on Instagram at Jade Sketches, and our soundboard clips that I actually don't know how to use in our new recording setup, so I have a little bit of time to figure that out, are by Jason DeLine, who you can find on Instagram at DeLineMan. And with all that out of the way, we'll catch you here next time for more. They made another one. They say all men are created equal, but you look at me and you look at Marlon Brando and you can see that statement is not true. Then you add Val Kilmer into the mix and your chances at making a good movie drastic go down. See Marlon, the numbers don't lie and they spell disaster for you at the island of Dr. Moreau. (laughs) Is it as good as you imagined, Corey? (laughs) Mitch, what did you think? Oh, I liked it. (laughs) Thank you. Okay, I'm going to hit stop now.